everyone, and welcome to Myth Matters, a bi-weekly podcast of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your host and personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. I have been creating these programs for you under the name Myth in the Mojave for the past six years. Wow. Myth in the Mojave for six years. The name is changing, but the format and content remain the same, although I am always aiming for improvement. I want to thank you for joining me on this mythic exploration. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. And talk about crazy. The other day, I sat down to put this podcast together, and I was going to open with the words, Summer is coming, here in the Mojave and elsewhere. And then the wind started blowing, and I looked at the weather forecast, and I see that there are amazing winter storms that are predicted for big parts of the United States, and who knows what's going on elsewhere around the world. Seasons are shifting. And yet there is something upon which we can depend, which is the topic of this program, and that is the moon. Changeable, yes, and predictable in her changeability. The connection between the moon and the summer for me has to do with the unpleasantness of our daytime temperatures. Nighttime becomes very important here in the desert in the summer. Many of us spend a lot more time enjoying the coolness under the stars and the light of the moon. And although it's not as extreme elsewhere, and many of you are not escaping the heat in quite the same way, there is an association, isn't there, between soft, gentle, warm nights and summer, relaxing, kicking back, and reacquainting ourselves with the night sky. There is a full moon coming up this Sunday or Monday, depending on where you live. And I want to invite you to experiment this month and over the next few months, these summer months, developing your night vision and your relationship to the moon. In our last podcast, we started an extended exploration of the ancient Greek pantheon, I talked about Aphrodite and Eros, and I want to turn to the Greeks again and evoke a trio of goddesses that they associated with different aspects of the moon. Artemis the hunter, whose horns are that crescent moon. Hecate, the goddess of magic and the dark or new moon, and Selene who was the full moon incarnate, personification of that silvery brightness and beauty, moisture, dew, refreshment, fecundity, and fulfillment. Now, actually, I guess I'm going to reserve Artemis, who is a very large topic for another podcast, but she is in the background, of course, because all three of these define and shape each other. And I'm going to tell you a bit about Selene and Hecate to give you some ideas about who you're addressing when you step outside every couple of weeks to stand in the velvet darkness of the new moon 
under that bright scattering of stars, or go out for a bath in the silvery moonlight of the full moon. There are not many stories about these two goddesses, so there are some fragments here that I'm going to impart for you to elaborate. As James Hillman said, myths don't tell us how anyway. They simply give the invisible background, which starts us imagining, questioning, and going deeper. And in addition to these bits and pieces of story that I'm going to share, my friends, you do, of course, have the moon herself. Of all the celestial bodies, the moon is special. Special because she is so close, so beautiful, so bright, and so dependable. She disappears and reappears monthly, modeling for us the existence of an invisible world that gives birth to this one and encouraging us to have faith. Now, I refer to the moon as she, as did the Greeks, but I want to point out that this gender identification is not uh, hard and fast all around the world. For example, the Sumerians saw the moon as male, the god Nana, who was the father of Inanna, just to mention one story that I shared as a myth in the Mojave. And on this question of faith, uh, I, I know that might be a loaded word for some of you, so I just want to say that placing faith in things is not the same as believing personal experience here being the key. And remind you that the ancient Greeks didn't believe in their deities in the way that we use that word now. Now belief seems to mean a willingness to suspend reason and personal experience in order to accept the existence of some unseen and supernatural god. But these personifications which is what the Greek deities were and are still for us today. These personifications of natural forces and common life experiences are very useful. As personages, we are better able to engage with them. And whatever veneration or worship we might engage in comes from a knowledge of our dependency on those forces and on the psychological dynamics of human life. Abstractions, my friends, don't really elicit devotion or move us. They don't spark the imagination. They don't lead us to love. And here I am, hearkening back to some of the themes in the last podcast on Aphrodite and Eros. Whatever or whomever you love... What it is that you serve, what you value, that is meaningful and real because you have a particular vision or image of it or an experience of someone or something in particular. We need those particulars to give form to what is otherwise a sterile concept. And that is what moves us to love. Our ancestors knew this. And although most of us aren't schooled in it today, we don't need a little more than a suggestion and a willingness because we are imagining, narrating, 
responding, permeable beings still. Let's turn to the moon, to Selene and Hecate, and I'll start with Selene, the goddess who was a personification of the full moon. Selene was descended from the Titans, the old race of gods, the old race of gods that represent the foundations of our natural and civilized worlds. And she was described as a very beautiful goddess with long wings and a golden crown. Asclesis called her the Eye of the Night. And she rode, just like her brother Helios, the sun, across the sky in a chariot drawn by two white horses, or in some instances, two white cows, or even mules. The story that we have about her involves the great love of her life. It seems that one night, when she was making her crossing, lighting up the earth so beautifully as she does, the shepherd, prince, Endymion was out with his flocks. And she saw him. And he was a very, very beautiful young man. And she met him in a cave near the peak of Mount Latmos, where he was grazing with his sheep. Now she had to put him to sleep in order to kiss him. And he experienced her in his dreams. She had to put him to sleep because... Mortals cannot apprehend the full glory and power of an archetype or a phenomenon like the moon directly. It's just too much for our physical and mental frames to absorb. And there's a famous story about that limitation, actually, that has some associations with the moon. It's a story of the mortal woman, Semele, and her affair with Zeus, an affair that resulted in the birth of the god Dionysus, who is also associated with the moon, and I will be talking about him in a podcast in the not-too-distant future. Semele and Zeus had an affair, and Zeus's wife, Hera, found out about this, and was jealous, and she disguised herself as a nurse and went to go and see this young woman, Semele, who was a princess in the city of Thebes. She approached Semele and engaged her in conversation and elicited the secret of her affair with this being man who claimed to be Zeus. Well, said the nurse, I don't really want to suggest that you're naive, but how do you know that he's Zeus? And Semele said, well, he he's quite remarkable, and he tells me that he's Zeus, and it sure, it sure, I mean, I, 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 well, I, I just think he's Zeus. And Hera, in her nurse disguise, said, Okay, well, so you just believe that he's Zeus, and um, I suppose he tells you that he loves you, too. 
And Semele said, well, of course he does. Of course he loves me. Well, you can see where this is going. Uh, Hera managed to plant some seeds of doubt in Semele's mind. And so she suggested that maybe the young woman would like to challenge her lover to prove himself by revealing himself as the God in the form that he revealed himself to his wife, Hera, in, with all of his glory. Well, when Zeus came to Semele that evening, she asked him if he loved her, and he insisted that he did, and she asked him if he would prove it, and he told her that he would, and he said that he would grant her any wish. And she said, I want to see you the way that your wife sees you. I want to see you in all of your thunderbolts and glory. Zeus tried to dissuade her. He knew this was a very bad idea, which is one of the reasons why he adopted disguises of various sorts when he had his affairs with mortal women. But she was insistent, and so he did. He let her see Zeus, and she caught on fire. She just burst into flames, and it so happened that she was pregnant with the god Dionysus, and Zeus knew this. And before the baby could be destroyed, he plucked Dionysus from Semele's womb, and he cut a slit in his thigh and put the baby in there, and Dionysus was incubated in the thigh of Zeus until he was born. So you see, this is what happens <laughs> if we try and approach these things directly. And that is an interesting thing about the moon, because the moon allows us to experience the otherwise fatal lights and energies of the sun by reflection, by deflection, makes it safe for us. Well, so Selene, the full moon's great love, was Endymion, and she came down and put him to sleep and kissed him, and it was such a beautiful experience that the lovers asked Zeus to grant Endymion a wish. And he wished to sleep eternally and to have an ageless sleep so that he would never grow old uh, or there would, and there would never be a natural mortal end to his relationship with Selene. And this went on for, I maybe it's still going on. And apparently there was more than a kiss because Selene became the mother of 50 daughters by Endymion. In this brief fragment of story, we hear present-day associations with the full moon and romance, with completion and fulfillment. And there's also transformation. We're reminded that moonlight brings a certain beauty. It changes things, right? The familiar looks different under the soft silver light of the moon. This is part of the moon's association with magic and also with lunacy or being a lunatic with certain kinds of madness. And Selene's 
Latin name was Luna. The word lunatic originally meant moonstruck. In the mid-16th century, around the time that the Enlightenment and our delusional fantasies about rationality and objectivity were taking firm root in the Western civilization, that word started to accumulate a lot of very negative connotations. And now when we think of lunatics and lunacies, we think those are politically incorrect words for insanity, craziness, various forms of wild extravagance, folly. And they are attributed, or they were then anyway, to phases of the moon. And we today still have this idea that the full moon brings a certain state of mind, a certain irrationality. The question is, do we embrace that or not? Another interesting thing about the full moon, as you know, is that shadows of things appear. And all three of these goddesses that I mentioned, Artemis, who we'll talk about in another podcast, Selene, and Hecate, are very comfortable at night. And they invite us to develop a night vision, an ability to be comfortable in the dark and with darkness. One other thing I want to note about Selene and Endymion She is moved by his beauty as he is moved by hers. There's a reciprocity there, a mutual appreciation. And this takes us back once again to themes in the earlier podcast about Aphrodite and Eros. We're reminded that what the world needs from us is appreciation, attention that those things are a form of love and they can lead to more visceral and fully experienced forms of love as well. So when you're standing out underneath that full moon, imagine that you are being seen and being appreciated as well as seeing and appreciating the beauty of that full moon. Well, as you know, every couple of weeks after the full moon, then we've completed a cycle and we go to the dark moon or the new moon. So let me tell you a little bit about the Greek goddess Hecate, who was associated with that moon, with magic, witchcraft, ghosts. Hecate is also descended from the Titans, and she helped the Olympians in their war against the giants back in those early, early, early days. So Zeus let her keep her place and her powers. In the very earliest stories, the stories told by Hesiod, for example, Hecate grants all kinds of favors and forms of abundance to mortals. She fattens cows, for example, or provide someone who needs to win an argument with persuasive rhetoric. Over time, with greater differentiation of the gods and the goddesses, and the demotion of the female goddess forms, this became uh, more about magic and spells, and later on then sorcery with a lot of negative connotations. 
in the time when she was still honored as a magician, Hecate presided over the crossroads, which are the best place for magic. She was often accompanied by a black dog. I mention this to my dog Steinbeck often, that he's the perfect companion for a witch. (laughs) These crossroads, the crossroads are a favorite location of tricksters also. Tricksters like the Greek Hermes or Ishu from West Africa and the American diaspora. Crossroads are powerful places because they are a place where all ways are open. They are a place of possibility. They are also meeting places, metaphors for synchronicity or chance. And so they are related to the idea of opportunity. The ability to see opportunities in what would otherwise merely be chance events is a gift of the trickster. And it is a type of magic. Magic in its heart is the ability to change reality by changing sight. What appears, appears differently. And it opens the question of whether or not what is changing is the thing being viewed or the viewer or both. Hecate's name comes from the Greek word hekatos, and it means worker from afar, a reference to her methods, magic. You can do magic from a distance and her location. She lived on the outskirts in places where she had solitude or more commonly in later times, the underworld. This association with the underworld seems to be one that the Greek tragedians built uh, using the Homeric hymn about Demeter and Persephone. This is a story that I shared a few podcasts ago. You recall in that myth of Demeter and Persephone that when Persephone is abducted, it's Hecate who's in her cave who hears Persephone's cries and reports this to Demeter. And in telling Demeter what she heard, inspires that mother goddess to ask Helios, the son, what he saw, because he sees everything. And thus is Hades' role in this abduction revealed. Hecate is in a cave because it is a place of solitude, a place where focus is possible. She's in the earth, and it refers to the mystery that surrounds her, to the fact that what she does and brings about needs to take place in the dark, hidden away from our regular consciousness. Keep all of this in mind when you are standing with the new moon and asking Hecate for what you would like to plant in that darkness. Now, I mentioned witchcraft, and some linked Hecate to Circe and Medea. And about a year ago, I did a podcast on Madeline Miller's novel, Circe, which is the story of the goddess told in her own words. I highly recommend that book if you didn't read it. And in that novel, what we understand is that Circe builds 
power in a world where she doesn't have any by collecting knowledge about plants and the powers in natural elements. This is a knowledge that is largely but not completely lost in the West. And the demotion or the devaluing of this information is not the result of it being ineffective, but because of its historical association with women, women who gather their own knowledge, skill, and power to affect healing and transformation are dangerous and subversive to the patriarchy. When I look at this world today and I consider the historical burden of females, I see that it is coming to include anyone and everyone of any gender who wants to be the center of their own authority, who wants to accumulate their own knowledge and not succumb to groupthink or play assigned roles. There have been many male witches, and it's time for us to see a lot more. Now, one benefit of engaging with the old myths and the stories, the personifications or characters, is for a broader view and perspective on things, to be in conversation with the mystery. And that broader view, what I mean by that, is to be able to move beyond the personal, the paltry contents of your own ego, and the cultural preoccupation with human constructs and creations into the mystery. I often think of a comment made by C.G. Jung, who said that neurosis is accepting answers to life's biggest questions that are simply too small and too limited. If we tell ourselves that there's no meaning in things, that there is no mystery in things, if we look at something and go, oh, that is only, or that's just, we're boxing ourselves in and we're robbing ourselves of our heritage as human beings. The answers that we give ourselves are connected to the questions, and those are connected to the options that we have. So let's not limit our thinking and imagination. It generates a false loneliness, and it traps us in the wrong conversations and debates. In this transformative time, let's do what we can for ourselves and the world to open to the new, to something beyond history. And paradoxically, we must use our history to do this. When you start studying mythology or looking for the mythological backgrounds to your ideas, one thing is immediately clear. Our ideas coexist in the present with those of our ancestors. I've given you a couple small examples of that in this podcast when you think about holding hands with your beloved under the light of the silvery moon and Selene and Endymion. The past is not locked up in a trunk in a dusty attic separate from the present. It's more like a river that flows through and shapes our current moment. All of the ideas and beliefs, the questions and answers that we have resolved, rejected, or integrated, the metaphors, the symbols, the constructs, the deities, these are all like so many drops of water in that river, which makes us the fish. And so, I invite you to experiment with a simple ritual 
under this coming full moon. The full moon is in Scorpio, the sun in Taurus. And by the way, this is a very important full moon. Uh, It's considered to be Buddha's birthday. And in this Taurus-Scorpio pairing, we have earth and body, water transformation, rebirth. We also see the relationship between these goddesses. I said that the three, Artemis, Selene, and Hecate, exist in relation. That is, different aspects of the moon they gave way to and define each other. And in this particular full moon, Selene is the full moon, and Hecate, as that dark moon, new moon, underworld magician, is connected to the rebirth and the magic of the sign of Scorpio. This is a good time to release things, to shed your skin like a snake. Maybe release doubts and fears about cultivating your power in this time. There are many forms of power to create beauty, to foster a sense of relatedness, even fleetingly by a smile. These are important powers, and we need to know this and feed this understanding. So here's the ritual. Write a letter to Hecate. You might begin with these words. Hecate, crone goddess of the dark moon, standing alone at the crossroads, you wait for lost travelers who seek their destiny. And then just let the words flow. Don't make a copy. Don't put this in your journal. It's best to use scrap paper. And then you might want to put on an article or two of clothing that's appropriate for this full moon. Ritual dress helps us. It tweaks the imagination. And it can be very, very, very simple. And yes, Celine and Hecate are goddesses, but this is not the flowing robes and dangly jewelry type of event. Hecate, like Artemis and Miller Circe, is a working goddess. So put on your boots or your jeans or your shorts. Maybe put on your work gloves or put them in your back pocket. Whatever signals to you practical endeavors. Go outside alone (laughs) under the moon. Mark the four directions. Do you know east, west, north, south from where you live? This marking can be as simple as four stones or objects. And you see in this sense you create a crossroads, right? And place yourself in the center at that crossroads. Read your letter out loud to the moon. And then burn it or bury it. Remember reciprocity. Give thanks. Give thanks to the moon. And resolve to release whatever it is you've communicated to her. Don't make copies. Don't make records. Don't engage in extended ruminations. It's interesting. Sometimes the attachment to what we say we want to release is revealed in this desire to create artifacts, to remember that we acted. Don't do it. And there you have it. It's that simple. You can do this exact same thing under the new moon. Again, you'll be with Hecate. 
that new moon energy is usually about what you want to plant, the possibilities that you would like to seed. I want to close with a poem by Li Po from the 8th century China that I think speaks to the themes and the spirits I'm trying to convey. And it may give you some other ideas about how to celebrate the end of your ritual with Selene in Hecate and that invisible presence of Artemis the hunter with her night vision. Here's the poem. Amongst the flowers, I am alone with my pot of wine, drinking by myself. Then lifting my cup, I asked the moon to drink with me, its reflection and mine in the wine cup, just the three of us. Then I sigh, for the moon cannot drink, and my shadow goes emptily along with me, never saying a word. With no other friends here, I can but use these two for company. In the time of happiness, I too must be happy with all around me. I sit and sing, and it is as if the moon accompanies me. Then if I dance, it is my shadow that dances along with me. While still not drunk, I am glad to make the moon and my shadow into friends. But then when I have drunk too much, we all part. Yet these are friends I can always count on, these who have no emotion whatsoever. I hope that one day we three will meet again deep in the Milky Way. And that's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth Matters. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. Yes, we are in transition from that old name, Myth in the Mojave. So if you are looking for links to the archives, like the podcast that I've mentioned, try searching under both. I am trying to be very efficient in this transition, but there are lots of little details. And like the snake I mentioned in that full moon ritual, I'm shedding a skin right now. (laughs) So please have some patience with me and look for Myth Matters and Myth in the Mojave. And if you can't find what you need, contact me. I'm very grateful to all of you who support this program by sharing it with others and doubly grateful to those of you who also give me your financial support. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive.